Well, good morning. Good morning. Now, there's something a little different about today because we have those of you in the service right here and we have our other service live, international and national with us this morning and via camera. So we know there's some people joining us from out of the country as well as those joining us from around the nation. And so there's a lot of you in here today, a lot of you with us today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that God moves in power. But first of all, I want to tell you about a story. I used to live in Georgia and I was in Atlanta airport. So a late night flight, I was getting back to Hartsfield. That's a very, very busy airport if you've ever been there. I go to the carousel and I'm waiting for my bag and there's only a couple of hundred of us there. And I look over and about 20 feet away, there's a gentleman sitting there with a hat down, kind of slumped over on his phone that looked familiar. Now I did not know this man, but I knew of this man. I think, I thought it was Jerome the Bus Bettis. Now, you might not know who Jerome the Bus Bettis is, but he is a Hall of Famer. He's a Super Bowl winner. He is a football icon. All these things, the superlatives go on and on. And I, I saw him sitting there and I was like, I, I think that's the bus. That might be the bus here with us normal folk. He's just here in Hartsfield waiting for his bag. And so I kind of get closer. He's not looking up. So I kind of, you know, you make the sound like, uh-huh, <clears throat> make a sound and hope he looks over. He doesn't. And so I start walking even farther. And when he looks up at me and looks me in the eye, I know it's him. Like that's the bus. And I go, oh. and I'm about to say, Jerome Bettis. And as soon as I do this, this face, he goes, you know, step back. There he was in the airport among the mere mortals, a Super Bowl Hall of Famer wearing a ball cap just like he was a normal person. I mean, amidst all the normality, there was the bus. And guess what? Only I knew it. I got to see him. You know, the Bible has a term for this. The Bible has a word for that very thing. And it's not a word for when you see Jerome the bus bed is in an airport. That's not what the word is. The word is when, when God makes an appearance among humanity. When God shows up in a tangible way and you see him with human eyes or you hear him with human, human ears, the word is theophany. Everyone say theophany. Theophany. A theophany is when God makes a tangible entry into our world. And we're going to look at three theophanies in the Old Testament today because they have a lot to do with our current series Awake, O Sleeper. Awake, O Sleeper. It's a series calling us to wake up as a church, to be a mighty church awakened, and in our own personal faith, to wake up, to have a faith that we can stand on, that we live, that, that Jesus' Spirit works in us and through us. And in week one, we talked about awakening to see God at work, to move beyond our spiritual blindness, to see where he's at work, to see if you're in difficulty, to see where he is. Week two, we talked about awakening to hear God, to, to move beyond our spiritual deafness, to hear when he's speaking to us through his word, and, and to sense when he prompts our hearts. And this week builds on those previous messages. We're talking about taking the risk to move whenever we hear God's call, whenever we see God at work, to, to take a risk and to move when God prompts us. When God speaks to us, we go and we do something about it. We risk it. When we see God at work, we go and we join him. So today, three Old Testament theophanies. We're going to see that God is active, God is speaking, he's visible, and he's calling his people to step out and move in risk. And for you and for me today, for us, this is an opportunity for us to take action. It's a call of action to awaken to a spiritual reality. And here's the reality. If we claim to have faith in Jesus, 
there should be some evidence in our lives at that reality. If we claim to have faith, but there is no action, well, the, the God's word has something to say about that. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way in James 2, verses 14. Read with me. He says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? James asks a very blunt question. If you say you have faith, but there's no action, is that really a faith that saves you? If we claim to have our roots, if we claim to have the, the roots of our faith deep down into God, where your roots are, that's what your fruit should be. And if our roots are in God, we should have some heavenly fruit growing in our life, in our character, in our words, and in our deeds. Church, our faith should result in action. There should be evidence of the faith that we claim. If we say we're following Jesus, we should be able to look up and see that we're actually following somebody. James goes on in verse 17. He says, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith is powerful. Faith is powerful. There's no salvation without our faith in Jesus. A faith that is deeply rooted in God should be so powerful that there is a tangible, tangible outpouring, a, a tangible evidence. There should be a powerful expression of that faith that was within us. And today we need to pause and take a fresh look at this faith that we claim. Today as a church, we need to, to pause and take a fresh look at the fruit of our faith that's in our lives. Today we awaken to the reality that, that if God is prompting us to move, if he is speaking to us, if he is revealing himself to us, asking us to move, asking us to action, are we doing it? Remember, a theophany is anytime God shows up in a tangible way in the Bible. The first theophany we're going to look at is in Exodus 3. Moses is out, he's out in the wild and Moses is tending sheep. Now he, he grew up in the palaces of Egypt and used to smell like perfume, but now he lives in these fields and he smells like sheep. Moses is shepherding when he sees a bush on fire, which is not that big of a deal, but, but this bush he sees on fire, it's not being consumed. It's not burning up. And so he, he, he wants to go check this out. So he, he goes toward it. The Bible tells us that God is the one in the fire. And in verse five, God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. And then God reveals himself and says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. In this theophany, God reveals himself to Moses. And that's a very significant moment. But I want to clarify, God doesn't appear here with Moses to provide a moment. He, he appears here to initiate a movement. That's what he does in our lives. When he reveals himself by his words or what we see, he wants us there to be movement. Because here with Moses, there are people who need freedom. God wants them rescued and redeemed, and, and he wants to use Moses, so he calls Moses. Verse 10, so, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And this is so wild. The God of the universe calls a shepherd in a field to go stand, march and stand before a king, the most powerful person on the planet, and say, let the workforce go. You see, the mission here is the people. The movement is God's plan of rescue. 
The purpose is for God to bring his people out of the darkness and into the light of freedom. And the, and the person he's calling is Moses. And God still works in these ways. But, but what a cool moment for Moses, right? Can you imagine being Moses and you're out there just tending sheep and God says, go, go to the president and go tell him these things. He would be honored, but for the next 22 verses, all Moses does is give excuse after excuse of why he shouldn't be the one that goes. Everything from what will I do? What will I say? Why would they listen? And, and then about his own skills, I don't even speak very well and I'm not the one. And then finally in verse four, chapter four, verse 13, Moses just finally goes, please just send someone else. <laughs> like God just, every excuse, God's like, I got you. I got you. I got you. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you. Could you just send someone else then? <laughs> like if you're gonna help me. And there's something in this for us. You know, we've talked about being awakened to God's prompts. But what happens when we do? What happens when we do hear his prompts or feel his prompts? Well, we do feel God saying to, to go to that person and, and, and show them love or, or give to them or speak to somebody or whatever it would be. What do you do when you feel or sense the prompt of God? What do you do with that? You give them excuses? You finally say, you know, send somebody else? Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're little, but they're always... They're always interesting in how they hit your heart. You know, every Wednesday at noon, right here in this room, we have prayer. Every Wednesday, we have prayer. It's open to everybody. Anyone's free to come. And um, it was the first thing that God asked me to start when I, when I became lead pastor. Because there's, there's no revival without revival prayer. We're praying that God would awaken and start a revival. Um, on the, but on this Wednesday I'm talking about, I had so many things to do that I got in my truck and I headed to one of my many meetings and many tasks. I asked a trusted friend to, to, to run the prayer meeting so I could turn my attention to my big list of, of some big things that I needed to, to do that day. And as I'm leaving the, the parking lot, I begin to get this sense. I begin to hear that, that, that sense from God, and I know it's him, um, go back to the church. I'm in the parking lot. And I'd love to tell you as your pastor, that was as far as I got. But I kept driving. And I kept hearing, turn around, go to the church. Oh. <laughs> I felt the prompt, but, but I reminded God, I was like, I don't know if you know how busy I am today. Like, I reminded him that, hey, I, I got someone to cover the meeting. <laughs> it's going to be prayed. I can pray in the truck. <laughs> like, come on. And finally, I was like, Look, please just send someone else, you know, like Moses. But through it all, I couldn't escape the sense of God saying, turn around and go. I got all the way out of town. I was out of town and I was like, I felt that burning. I knew I needed to turn around. And so what I needed is instead of going to my meetings and representing the orchard to people, God wanted me to go back to the church and represent the orchard to him, to pray that God would move in power so I turned around and I came back and here I was in this room and I was kneeling right here in this spot, right below my feet I was kneeling. And I had, a, I had Henry, our producer, put on some music, a worship song and I had him crank it up and I'm here praying and, and, and the prayer team, we're all praying that God would move in power to save people. We're praying that prayer that God would move in power to bring people to himself. I'm right here and as I'm praying, the music begins to fade. Now I'm in charge. But somebody's fading the music that I asked him to put on. So I look up, I'm like, what's happening? Who's fading the music? And I turn around, and at that moment, I see Casey, who was baptized here just a couple weeks ago, walking in with tears in her eyes. Something was happening. And she began to tell us 
Amazing things that, that she, right out there in that lobby, had just, just then prayed to receive Jesus. I mean, while we were in here praying that God would move in power and save people, God's moving in power and, and, and saving his beloved daughter. Now, I don't know how much my presence or participation in that prayer mattered. God was moving in Casey's life. But I'll tell you this, it made a huge difference in my life. It made a huge difference in my faith. I am so glad that I heard God's voice and adjusted my day to that. Because here's the, at the end of the day, I want to be a part of his movement. And I partnered with God to see God do amazing things. I got to see him work and my faith grew. And here's the application. God's going to speak. God's going to prompt. God's going to call you throughout your day. And he's going to ask you to adjust your purpose, your plans to his purpose. And like Moses, you probably have a lot of reasons why, oh, you should pick somebody else. I, I'm not, I'm in a seminary. I haven't done this. I don't know. There's, there's all the excuses in the world. Like Moses, you might have those. And like me, you might also be very busy and have other excuses. I got things to do. They're good things. But at the end of the day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are on this planet to love God and to follow him. That's why we're here. Your purpose in this light is to say yes to God when he prompts and to shine his light on Jesus so that all people can see our risen Savior. And when God gives you that prompt, when God gives you that sense, one of those moments, you have the opportunity in that moment to adjust your plan to his purpose and align yourself with the purposes of heaven. It could be giving a gift of money or food to somebody. It could be helping a family in need. I mean, there are unlimited opportunities and possibilities of what God would ask you to do to adjust your plan to his purpose. That's theophany number one. We learn that God speaks, that God calls us, and he prompts us to join him in his purpose. And we probably have a lot of reasons to say no. But there's one glorious reason to say yes. There's one glorious reason to say yes when God prompts you. You were created to do so. He created you to say yes, to follow Jesus. And when you do, you align yourself with heaven and you see God's move in you and through you. Theophany number two happens 10 chapters later. In Exodus Exodus, Exodus uh, 13, God has used Moses miraculously. He, he's used Moses to, to go and rescue the people out of Egypt. Remember, you've seen the movies, right? Charleston Heston and all these things. He's, he's taking them out of Egypt. He's gonna lead them to the promised land. In Exodus 13, 21, it tells us this, that God went before his people in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And for the rest of Exodus and Numbers, we see this pattern of of, of God moving and the people would keep their eyes on God's presence and they wouldn't move until he moved. In fact, look at Numbers 9, verse 22. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move. But as soon as the cloud lifted, they broke camp and moved on. At the Lord's command, they encamped and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order. The application was simple here. They kept their eyes on what God was doing. They, they kept their eyes on where he was at work and they joined him when he moved. They moved when he moved. And we have discussed awakening from spiritual blindness. And like I said before, I know that you guys remember all of my sermons so I don't have to review it all. 
We have discussed spiritual blindness and seeing God at work. And Orchard, if you see evidence of God's work of redemption, if you see evidence of God at work somewhere, go join him. Go join him in his work. Follow God and where he moves. When you see him move, move. And over the past year, many of you have joined us. I would now love to believe the reason you've joined us because you've seen God moving here. Many of you have continued to stay in this place because you've seen a tangible move of God in this place. Just this very week, we had more people receive Jesus as their Savior, and you'll hear their testimony next Sunday in baptism. Each week, we get emails from people who, who, who stepped out in risk or who reaffirmed their faith in God. And each week, we get to see people giving generously to fuel what God does here is that they see tangible expressions of what God is doing. Or we see people stepping up to lead or volunteer, or serve. We have Max, he's playing guitar for us today. Last week was his first day here. If you see evidence of God at work in, a, in somewhere, go join him. If you see a friend who's in a growth group and you see that community is helping them get closer to God and work their faith questions and issues, well, go join one. See, when the, God of pres- when the cloud of God's presence would move, the people would move. They waited and saw where God moved and that's when they would do it. Theophany number one, when God speaks and prompts and calls you, join him in his purpose. Theophany number two, when you see evidence of God moving and God at work, join him in his purpose. And theophany number three is much different because in theophany number three, we're not moving. We're talking about how God would move, but this one is unique. And we're gonna go back to the Old Testament book of Daniel. These are people living in a culture that does not honor God. They're living in Babylon, a culture that doesn't value God's ways. In fact, this culture, this culture calls evil good. And they call the things of God that are good, they call those things evil. It's a culture that's working its best to exclude God in all their ways. And we find three young men in this culture, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard of them. They had faith in God and they wanted to stand and live for God. But the times they were living in were in direct opposition, direct opposition to what God had called them to. And we find them in the book of Daniel under the, under the rule of a king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, he decides what all people in charge want to do. He decides to build a statue of himself. And not just any statue, it's a 90-foot one made of gold, right? He wants a golden image to be built so that the people can see how great and they can all bow down and worship it. And this sounds strange to us, but back in those days, the kings and queens, they considered themselves divinity and people were required to worship them. So he commissions this golden statue. And it's, it's, it, the, the work on it happens and it's finally, it comes together and it's completed. King Nebuchadnezzar is thrilled and he places it on the, the plains of Dura there in Babylon, a big field so, so that so many people can gather for this big moment. He calls people from the ends of his kingdom, all languages and types, to come and gather on this plain of Dura so that they could have one grand moment of worship. The king's plan all comes together and we hear this decree in verse four. Then the herald shouted, people of all races and nations, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of music, you must bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown in the blazing furnace. Again, this wouldn't have been a a huge issue in their culture and a lot of people would have shown up 
Okay, done their bowing and then gone back to their homes and their lives. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Hebrew. They, they, they worship the one true God. And God's word has, has made it very clear that bowing down to anything other than God is absolutely against the command of God and God's heart. And, and like Moses, when Moses heard God's voice, they may have waited for God to speak. They may have asked for prompts, like, God, tell us what to do. What do we do? And they might have waited for his voice. But unlike Moses, they didn't hear God's voice. Instead, all they could hear was the culture's decree, bow or burn. That's what they heard. And unlike those following the pillar of cloud, they, could, they couldn't see what God wanted them to do. Like, God, show us, a, give us a sign. What should we do? God, give us a sign how we should, how should, we should operate. Instead, all they could do was hear the, the sounds of the culture and, and, and see, they couldn't see the pillar of fire. They saw the fire of the furnace is what they saw. But do you know what they did have? They had the word of God. The revelation of God's nature. The revelation of God's promises. And the word of God for them was crystal clear. Do not bow to anything but God alone. And there on the plain of Dura, the music started. Can you imagine this? Imagine this all from the area. We're on the football field getting ready to bow down to an idol. And the music starts. And throngs of people begin to go through the motions of bowing down before this idol. Now, can you imagine if you're one of these three young men? You know that in any second, you're about to stand out like a sore thumb. As, as somebody looks out across the plain of Dura, there's going to be three people just standing there as everyone else goes to their face. You know, God told them to live one way, but the culture was telling them they had to live another. They're surrounded by people who start to bow. Their, their heart quickens. This is the moment. They're about to be exposed. But let's be honest. Can we just pause the story? How hard would it have been for them to bow, like, just a little bit, you know? Like, like don't really bow, but kind of maybe bow just enough so you don't stand out, you know? Just, just, just enough so you kind of blend in enough, right? Well, or or even, even more than that, let's just be honest. Surely God would understand under the circumstances, right? Surely. These young men, they, with, they withheld from the temptation to cave to the culture, and they just stood unwavering. And here's the deal. They didn't protest. They didn't picket. They didn't go post on their wall. They just quietly stood where God's word told them to stand. They simply refused to bow when the culture told them to. And of course, news of these three people having the nerve to stand reached the ears of the king, and his happy moment was, was destroyed. He said, bring them to me. He's furious. He brings these, these three young men, and, he, and he, he reminds them, you have to bow or you're going to burn. Their reply is one of my favorites. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Catch this. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. If we're thrown into the fire, O king, our God can save us. But let's just get one thing crystal clear. If, 
if the worst case scenario happens and we die, we're still not gonna bow and worship anyone other than our king. These young men were unmoved by the culture. All they did was simply stand on the word of God. And and church, I don't have to tell you this, but we have a, a culture that declares that truth is relative. That that truth is a personal decision. That truth is based on how you feel. And that in fact, your faith, your faith is based, should be based on kind of how you feel things should go. And like these young men, there are parts of the world around us that call the good things of God evil. And there are parts of our our culture that call the evil things, these are now noble and good. And we are asked to accept and endorse and bow to the culture. But let's pause the story and be honest. If we don't bow, we don't get thrown in a furnace, right? Right? We don't die. I mean, we, we may get canceled or marginalized. We'll probably lose some social standing. We may lose some friends, but, and, and those are real consequences if, if you choose to stand against the culture. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we have a few things going for us. And, and, and the word of God declares a few things. That isn't relative truth. That, that we are to worship God alone. That, that there's an absolute divine truth that does not change based on my feelings. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived and died and rose again and declared, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except for through me. That we are created for this relationship. And that we're to live lives that please him. The temptation for us is to bow. And the temptation is to bow in places in our life that doesn't seem to matter that much. Well, if I, if I just bow a little over here with these friends, if I just bow a little enough, they won't notice I'm standing out. And if I just, if I just kind of bow over here just a little bit, people won't know. People won't know. I mean, surely God understands the circumstances. Surely, Right? These young men refused to bow and they stood on God's word. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was enraged at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they said that, it threw him into a fury. And he said, heat up the furnace even more. He had them tied up and he had them thrown into the roaring flames. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sat down on his throne, smug smile, looking out of the plain of Dura as 100% of the people bowed. But his moment was interrupted. And something brought him to his feet. Verse 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, did did we tie three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, your majesty, certainly we did. He moved closer. Look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of God. Theophany number three. God didn't stop them from going through the trial but he joined them in the fire. God joins his faithful sons in the trial. You know, there are times, and it happens often, where we don't hear the voice of God. In 2020 was such a crazy time of hearing all these different voices. Maybe you didn't hear the prompt of God. Maybe there are times where we don't see evidence of God at work. God, give me a sign In fact, there might be 
There may be times in your life when all you hear is the culture and all you hear is the fear and all you hear is the frustration and all you feel is the fire of the opposition telling you to bow. In those times, God's word is your bedrock to stand firm on. This week, another pastor from Down Valley sent me a text. Now, this is out of the ordinary because I haven't seen him in many years, maybe a decade, and he and I don't text, really. He said he heard God prompt him to send me a verse out of nowhere, and I had to do that response. Great verse. Who is this? I didn't even know who it was. But it's a verse that um, he said, I feel like God told me to send it to you. It's a verse I need for the sermon. It's a verse I'm going to read for you right now. Isaiah 7, verses 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If we bow in our, in our faith, you're going to bow in your character. We're going to bow to our temptations, addictions and vices, and culture. And when things get difficult, But if we stand on the word that God has given us, we can withstand the pressure and stand in our character and stand against the culture. We can stand in our purity, stand in our purposes. We can stand when the assault comes upon our peace. As as Ephesians 6.14 says, so that then when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand your ground in faith. And after you have stood, stand. In Moses' situation, God spoke. God spoke and Moses moved. And there will be times when God speaks and God prompts you. And he's going to ask you to move, to step out and risk. In the desert, God's presence relocated. And when they saw God move, they would follow and move. And there's going to be times when you see God at work and he's going to ask you to go join him. But in the furnace, all they did was stand. They didn't move. But it was God who moved on their behalf. And there are times in the storms of life and the trials where you won't be able to hear him. You might be able to see the evidence of God around you. And in those moments, stand firm. And after you've done everything, stand and watch God move. Even when you don't see him working, he is working. Orchard, God still speak. He still speaks. He still moves. He still prompts. He's still looking for sons and daughters who will stand and not bow to anyone else. And this is where we end. There are people who need, there are people around us in our life who need God. They need to see God clearly. And God's gonna speak to you and prompt you on ways that you can love them, reveal him, and so that they can can invite God into their life. God's gonna prompt you to make some adjustments to your plans and adjust to his purposes. And you may be busy, And you may have things to do. And you may have excuses. And you may just say, please send someone else. But at the end of the day, you were created to love God and follow him. And God has given us his word. You're gonna hear me all year talking about God's word. It's hard to stand on God's word if we don't know God's word. I encourage you, join a growth group, get in the Bible study, start a reading plan, but begin to know what you can stand on because there are times when all you'll hear is the culture 
And all you'll feel is the fire and the temptation to bow. And, and, you, and you need to be able to stand on the promises. So Orchard, it's time to awaken. Where you hear Jesus calling you to move, risk it and move. Where you see Jesus moving, risk it and go join him. And where you see the word of God calling you to stand, you stand firm and you watch God move on your behalf. As we go into communion this morning, whether you're at home, whether you're right here with me, you need to ask yourself some questions. Where has God prompted or spoken to me? Where has God asked me to step out in faith? Where has he asked me to risk it and move? It's time. It's time to put that faith into action. Where have you seen God at work? It's time to join him there. To add your giftedness, add your resources, to become a part of a movement. And finally, here's the question. Where are you bowing? To materialism? To secret private sins? We have a God that doesn't condemn us. He forgives us. And so we ask his forgiveness in communion. God, forgive me where I am bowing to the culture. And today, where is God asking you to stand firm? Let's worship.